Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Today is Thursday, June 15, 2023. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. I'm here in Clearwater, Florida, where I will be talking to uh, African-American CDFI CEOs, their alliance, uh, a little bit later. On today's show, though, a Palm Springs land reparations lawsuit is making headlines uh, as black and Latino descendants of Section 14 advocate for the advocate for reparations uh, for their families uh, for evictions that took place in the 1950s and 1960s. We'll tell you really what this is all about. Things got heated in the House Oversight Committee. Texas Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett went at Nutcase Congresswoman Lorraine uh, uh, Bobert from Colorado will show you the exchange. Also, new voting districts could change again before 2024 in some states. We'll talk with uh, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund about the Supreme Court decision and how that could impact black representation in Congress. Also, uh, two of the Tennessee three are back on the ballot for Election Day. Uh, one, of course, is a shoe-in. Uh, we'll tell you exactly what's going to be happening uh, there as well. Plus, um, Gerald Horn has a new book out about uh, the battle for independence in Texas. He talks about Juneteenth, black soldiers. He talks about how slavery played a role in the Alamo, folks. It is a fascinating conversation I had with Gerald Horn. It is one you do not want to miss as we are four days from celebrating Juneteenth as a federal holiday. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's
Springs, California, folks, is considered uh, the playground of the rich. But there was a time when, when black Latinos were forcibly removed from their homes in the heart of Palm Springs, the 1950s and the 1960s. Now they and their descendants are suing for billions. We're joined right now uh, by attorney Ariva Martin, uh, who is involved in this case. Uh, Ariva, for folks who don't understand uh, Section 14, what this area is, so just explain, just set this whole thing up, uh, this particular lawsuit, uh, and what these African-Americans and Latinos are actually uh, saying. Right, so Section 14 uh, is a one-square-mile area in downtown Palm Springs, California. It's finally called Section 14. It actually is a pot of land that was owned by the Aqua Caliente uh, indigenous tribe. And as blacks and Latinos were moving into Palm Springs in the 1940s and 1950s, many blacks escaping the South thought they were escaping Jim Crowism, moving to California, looking to find the American dream, looking to build homes, to uh, build generational wealth, to you know, really provide a bright future for their families. Uh, they realized that California wasn't very different in many ways than the South, and there were racially restrictive covenants that prevented blacks from living on streets where whites lived. There were uh, banking and financial restrictions that prevented blacks from getting loans for cars and for homes. And the indigenous tribe was the only group of people who were willing to allow African Americans and Latinos to live on their land. So black folks built a community on this plot of land, 646 acres, one square mile. Uh, finally referred to as Section 14. They built homes, they built churches, they built businesses, they built a thriving community. And this is while they are working to help Palm Springs become this exotic getaway in the desert. They were working as cooks and nannies and maids and chauffeurs and carpenters and builders as Palm Springs was building itself up to cater to the likes of Gene Autry, Frank Sinatra, Lucille Ball, and some of the biggest names uh, in Hollywood in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but they had a problem. Despite wanting this uh, free labor, despite wanting these African-American and Latino families to provide uh, these services, they did not want these families to be in the heart of downtown Palm Springs. They wanted them—they uh, wanted their labor, but they wanted them out of sight. So the city basically hatched a plan to remove the families from of this community. And they didn't use eminent domain. They didn't use a legal process. They used sheer might, sheer force. They demolished using bulldozers, the homes, and then they used the city's fire department to set the homes on fire. So they upended this very vibrant uh, black and brown community, and they buried the secret, uh, essentially for 60 years. And now these families have found their voices, and they're speaking out, and they're demanding not only an apology, which was issued, but they're demanding that they receive some kind of reparative justice. Wow. But, I mean, you know, we, we, we think about uh, the—we just had the 102nd anniversary of the Tulsa race massacre, 
and we talk about that. Um, I never heard of this. Yeah, Roland, you know, so many folks say they didn't even know black folks lived in Palm Springs. A lot of folks have traveled there. They've played at the golf courses. They've played at the tennis courses. They've been to the nightclubs, the swanky restaurants, the swanky resorts. And you literally can drive through Palm Springs, and you'll be driving through what was Section 14. But there's not a plaque. There's not a monument. There's nothing that evidences the tremendous contributions of black and brown folks in the building up. Uh, and the development of the city. And unfortunately, a lot of the city leaders want it to be that way. They wanted Palm Springs to be this homogeneous, white, wealthy uh, getaway. And they were able to accomplish that uh, to a certain degree. Uh, but obviously, like I said, these families have found their voices. They're speaking out. They're telling this story to anyone who will listen. We're telling it, you know, in the national media, to the national press. And we're demanding that the city recognize the contributions of these uh, brave and courageous individuals, and that they do something to address the racial trauma uh, that these survivors experienced. Uh, this is uh, a statement from the city attorney of Palm Springs, Jeff Bellinger. Uh, he said, the city council has issued a formal apology and has set the city on a course to attempt to make amends for what happened back in the 1950s and 1960s. I have been in communication with Ms. Martin, and it is my hope and with her assistance, we can continue focusing the city's resources on that course of action rather than on unnecessary litigation. Here's the thing, Reba, why I think this uh, is, is so important here. When we're having this conversation about reparations and folks are invoking slavery, critics say, well, wait a minute, you weren't directly impacted, um, mm -hmm. and so how can we now trace this back? What I have long said is that if we're talking about how to seek justice, there are black people living today, and in this case, black and Latinos, who were alive then, who were, who were forced out, who were economically impacted. Their children were economically impacted. So you have a situation uh, here where you can tie individuals directly to being forced out and how... If they had stayed there and lived there as Palm Springs became this rich enclave, multi, multi million dollar homes, I need people to understand. I was just at uh, playing at Anthony Anderson's golf tournament at Bighorn in Palm Desert. There are homes there around Bighorn that range from five to forty-five, fifty million dollars and up. And so we're talking about multiple millions of dollars that black and Latinos could have been able to sell that land for had they not been forced out. Yeah, you're, you're right on the money, Roland. We're talking about the loss of generational wealth, intergenerational wealth. And we know that the black-white wealth gap is as wide as it is today is because white folks have had an opportunity to own their homes, to build equity in their homes, and then to pass that equity down to their children. Their children have been able to draw that equity down, use it to start businesses, to make investments in the stock market, and to basically get rich and to help their you know future generations get rich as well. We've been denied that opportunity. And you are right. Uh, this We don't have to reach back to the 1800s. We don't have to talk about slaves that none of us knew. I have living, breathing clients. The oldest is are in their 90s, but many of these clients of mine are in their 70s. They're in their 80s. They have vivid memories of what happened. They have the scars 
uh, from this racial terrorism, uh, racial terrorist attack. So unlike some of the reparations actions that are happening around the country, and I applaud those actions because I'm so encouraged by what we're seeing, even in places like my hometown, St. Louis, that is even considering uh, studying the history of, you know, racial discrimination and racial attacks uh, in Missouri, this is a case that is, I think, a poster child for how white folks, in particular those that, you know, count themselves amongst the liberal, can make good on a, a promise. As you see, that city attorney's uh, statement says he wants to work with us. So we want to hold him to that statement. We want to work with him, too. But we want to work beyond just an apology. And we know in this country, unfortunately, we can never never, ever come up with a dollar amount that would repay folks for the kind of racial trauma that they have experienced. But we have an imperfect civil system, and that imperfect civil system relies on money judgments, money verdicts, as a way to send a message uh, and as a way to deter future conduct. So we're hoping that the city makes good on that statement that you just read from its city attorney. Uh, I, I am not, I am not, um, and I, I just want to be very clear here, I am not uh, um, uh, dismissing nor negating or minimizing the city's apology, but I don't give a damn about apology. Here's why. I'm using Tulsa as an example. It took all these years for them to finally come to the apology. But when it came time to the money, nope, state didn't want to do it. City didn't want to do it. They built this this museum there, trying to attract tourists there. Did not want to share the resources with the black folks there as well. And so this is where I don't want to hear I'm sorry. I want to see, as we always say, our, we have a segment on our show called Where's Our Money? Because when we talk about, and I, and I need the people who are watching and listening to understand how I'm framing this. If those black folks were able to sit here and own that land, and then it begins to get developed and developed and developed and then sell it. Now, all of a sudden, that changes uh, p paying for a college. That now changes being able to buy homes for their children and helping with the down payment. That now changes paying for weddings. That pays for all kinds of different stuff. Now, all of a sudden, you now have, since 1950s, 1960s, two, two and a half generations who are not further in debt. And so that's the thing that the people need really need to understand when we talk about there are living, breathing individuals right now who were victims of white domestic terrorism, and they have never been properly compensated, and their families could have been changed economically, their children's children's children, if the city uh, did right. And so that's why I hear the city attorney, but Palm Springs, they're going to have to pony up. No, absolutely right, uh, Roland. You know, when we start talking about compensating black folks for racial terrorism, we often hear folks say, well, it's not just about a check. Well, you know, when it comes to black folks, folks are quick to say it shouldn't be about a check or it's not about a check. But in reality, it is about a check. When we talk about any other community that has been harmed, we don't have any problems with talking about checks and talking about checks in large sums. So likewise, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's 9-11 victims, uh, whether it's the Japanese-Americans who were interned in internment camps, you know, we have a history in this country of making folks whole that have experienced some kind of trauma. So likewise, in Palm Springs, what we have said to the city attorney, what we said to the city manager and to the city council is we want a plethora of remedies to address this harm. And one of those 
the myriad of things that we're asking for is a check because families were burned out of their homes. They did lose their personal belongings. They lost the opportunity to acquire equity, for equity to be built up over time, for equity to be able to be transferred for those things that you identify, college tuition, uh, you know, down payments uh, on loans for businesses, investments in the stock market, et cetera. Those were opportunities that these families, but for the actions of the city, would have had an opportunity to avail themselves of. So it's about a check, and we have to get comfortable as black folks saying it is about a check. Because too many folks, I think, have bought into this notion that when it comes to making black folks whole for racial atrocities, we have to go to something else, like talk about policies. Policies are important, no doubt about it. Change the housing policies, change the education policies, change the health care policies. All of those things are important. But we can also talk about money. Last question for you. Um, have you and your team gone to that particular area uh, and then uh, have you started the process or even finished uh, assessing right now what those properties Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Property values are uh, for that particular area, uh, and then uh, be, able to share, be able to show, okay, this is what it was then, this is what it's value at now, uh, because that sets sort of a framework or sets the floor, if you will, for conversation and negotiation. Yeah, one of your frequent guests, uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo, is, uh, as you know, world-renowned labor economist. She is on the team, and she has been with us from day one. She's visited the site with us on multiple occasions. She's been in Palm Springs with me on multiple occasions, and she has done an economic harms assessment. Uh, it's, it's shocking to me when I got involved in this case almost a year ago no one at the city had even bothered to do any kind of economic assessment about what is the harm. You know, if there's a tornado, if there's an uh, earthquake, any kind of natural disaster, sometimes man-made disasters, that's the first thing a governmental entity does is goes in and does an economic 
harms assessment. You know, what were the losses? What is it going to cost us to rebuild this community? So Dr. Julianne Malvo did that assessment, and she estimated that this the losses suffered, the economic losses alone, when you think in terms of present-day dollars, uh, exceeds $2 billion. And again, that doesn't take into account wow. you know, some of the non-objective losses, like I said, the racial trauma, the pathology that many of these families have experienced because of having their community completely upended. So we are working with Dr. Malvo uh, and a team, one of the lawyers you mentioned, the Tulsa, uh, Dr. Thomas, uh, Mil Eric Miller, I'm sorry, uh, professor at Loyola right here in Los Angeles is also uh, on our team. So we have a team of, you know, folks who've been at this a while. They, they know the issues that they know uh, how to make these kinds of assessments. So we're encouraged that we are uh, moving towards a solution that is going to make these families whole. All right, then. Attorney Reva Martin, we appreciate it. Keep us abreast of this case. Fascinating uh, piece of history, uh, and we appreciate you sharing it with us. Thanks, Roland. My pleasure. All right, folks, going to go to a break. When we come back. We'll discuss this with our panel. Other news of the day as well. Don't forget, folks, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. I see y'all commenting. Hit the like button. Also, please uh, download the Black Start Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku. Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, your dollars really uh, matter in helping us be able uh, to cover news all across this country. Please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Send your check and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell, rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Start Network is here. Oh, no punch! A real uh, revolutionary right now. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America. All the momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? 
Hi, my name is Freddie Ricks. I'm from Houston, Texas. My name is Sharon Williams. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Right now, I'm rolling with Roland Martin. Unfiltered, uncut, unplugged, and undamn believable. You hear me? All right, let's welcome my pound, Dr. Craig Carr, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Glad to have him out of D.C. Reese Colbert, uh, host of the Reese Colbert Show on Sirius XM Radio out of D.C. as well. Michael M. Otep, host of the African History Network Show out of Detroit. Uh, I want to start with you, Greg. I, I, I had never heard uh, of this story. Uh, and uh, it, it is, is a fascinating one. And again, for folks who don't know, Palm Springs, I mean, we're talking about just multiple million dollar homes there. Uh, and so this is a perfect example of, again, folks who, they're a lot more, look, you only got three dis, three uh, descendants of Tulsa Race Massacre. It's a lot more folks still living what, what happened there at Palm Springs. No, absolutely, Roland. In fact, I spent all day today at the D.C. City Council. Um, our frat brother, Kenny McDuffie, council member at large, uh, he and Keon, uh, and, Keon, and and Brother Treon White have uh, proposed a reparations commission for the District of Columbia. And so I was one of over 100 people who testified, including Dr. Grills and also Camila Moore from the California Reparation Task Force. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over again is the dispossession of black folk in terms of their land moving. They usually use eminent domain. Now, we all know how Tony, the uh, Chevy Chase uh, section of Maryland and D.C. is. Black folk used to live there. They literally moved them off of three acres of family, and they have been moved from southwest to to, to southeast to, to northwest. Serial land dispossession. But 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 one of the things I wanted to ask uh, ask the lawyer there, because she's working with Dr. Grills, who was on the California Reparation Task Force, and our sister Julianne Malvo, is where does this intersect with the indigenous folk? Because the story indicates that they are the Agua Caliente Caula. Indians who uh, have a reservation there, and that this could not have done been done without their participation. So I'm wondering if this is going to get tied up between the white folk who dispossessed them and the indigenous folk whose land it was, and was there collusion between them? But it's a story of dispossession, and it's unfortunately very, very common. You know, uh, the point that um, Greg makes there, uh, Reese is an interesting one because when you start looking at what has happened all across this country, we see what's happening with black farmers in this country. Uh, there were a lot of black people who own land who were literally forced out of cities. They fled mm -hmm. places because they were threatened with a murder. And when you start talking about the stealing of land, this is where I think there are, where our legals, our legal experts can play a critical role when it comes to uh, receiving compensation for what was stolen uh, from from black folks. Th this is why when people, when, th this is why it's interesting. I, I, when people need to understand when, when you talk about repair and reparations, it's not one way of seeing it. Right. What they're doing is they're looking, and so and again, I think people make the mistake when 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 I, I hear some of these conversations. And it's like, when is Congress going to give us our check? Well, listen, there were this case, this was actions by a city 
right. by city officials that's documented, and then they could target the city. Yeah, I mean, if we look at his uh, the reparations movement in terms of where the most progress has happened, it's actually happened at the local and state levels. You have mayors that are behind it in various cities, Evanston being one of them, um, and you have California, which has made the most progress in terms of the state. But um, you know, the way to go about this is to get litigious. The the notion that somebody's going to bestow charity on us with legislation um, is not necessarily as feasible, at least not on a federal level, in any time soon, particularly with gerrymandering and the other political pressures that uh, both parties are under, but particularly Democrats. And so this is a really great method um, because there's evidence of participation directly from the city. This isn't about some rogue residents who uh, took, took their white supremacy too far. This was coordinated government action. And so an apology is not sufficient. Show me the damn money. And, you know, if that doesn't work, okay, well, then what else you got? Because there's a lot of money in Palm, is Palm Springs. There's a lot of land in Palm Springs. There's a lot of way to repair the damage that is being done. But I'm with Ariva Martin. Don't be shy about asking for money. If Greg Abbott can get money for a tree falling on him for running down the street, then <laughs> goddamn it, black people can get reparations for being forced out of their homes by the city in Palm Springs. And again, the thing that I think what was important here, um, Michael, when you look at Bruce Beach, when you look yes. at what happened there, when you look at this here, the strategy here is not trying to have a macro approach to this. Right. This is saying here we have individuals who we can identify, who exist. This happened to them. We're going to target them. Right. That's why there are, mo you know, again, th th there are multiple strategies when we're talking about how do I, how do we change the economics? I mean, I'm, I'm literally, you know, I don't write speeches, and I'm literally was I was on a golf course and I was thinking through what, what I was going to talk about tonight uh, to uh, this group of CDFI CEOs, uh, and and what I was going to say to them is that we have to be thinking about this black economic ecosystem. In a, in a totally different way uh, as opposed to how we are approaching it right now. Because I'm looking at buckets here, 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 and we need folks who are going after all the different buckets as opposed right. to thinking there's only one way to achieve the result. Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, Roland, thanks for having Ariva Martin on because um, I'll be talking to her later to, uh, this evening. I'm on a radio show, uh, KBLA 1580 AM, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're talking about reparations. So this is a timely conversation. Uh, we have to have comprehensive reparations, as Camila Moore has said, who's the chairwoman of the uh, California Reparations Task Force, um, as Greg Carr has talked about as well. We, the root concept is repairing the damage of something that's been done. So we have to have comprehensive reparations. We have to have reform when it comes to the laws and policies that continue to inflict the harm upon us. We have to have cash payments as well. Uh, so, uh, so we have to understand that. This is very interesting here. I first, um, there was an article back in April 18th that came out when I first found out about this in Palm Springs. And one, one of the questions I had is when we, when we look at, for instance, uh, 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, North Tulsa, Greenwood. We know that some of the early landowners in North Tulsa got land from those Black Freedmen Indian treaties of 1866, because Tulsa was founded by Creek Indians around 1834. And when they, when they went into Oklahoma, they took the African slaves with them. So when we talk when we talk about this Native American nation, the Agua Caliente band of uh, uh, Cayuhila Indians, I'm wondering, are there any treaties? Is there any intermarrying into these Native American nations as well? Uh, and we have to understand how to utilize the law at the city level, state level, and at the federal level to bring about what it is that we want, okay? This is why it's not just about voting. Voting strategically is very important, and we vote for power. We don't vote for exercise, okay? You don't. We have to stop telling African Americans to exercise your right to vote. We vote for power. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym. But we also have to understand law, because politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. So all this comes together. So this is a, a very timely conversation, Roland. Uh, folks, hold tight one second. got to go to break. We come back. Uh, we will talk with the end of LACP Legal Defense and Education Fund about what is happening with the Supreme Court decision, how this could impact uh, more black congressional districts across the country. We're going from economic power to political power, and trust me, they are intertwined. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes <laughs> you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that! Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. I remember mm. Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You gotta stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I you know, I'm young, thinking, yeah, I'm good. <clears throat> and he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show did you have at that? This was one-on-one. -on -one. 
Got during it. that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one on one, yep. going great. Yeah. You making money. You like. I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't, I don't need to leave from you know third, Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like I'm gonna stay here. Oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, run around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle, or me and this one or that one, we go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning. And I mean, that was our life. We loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. Well, I was like, I got this money, I'm good. I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making, but what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. on the frequency with me, Dee Barnes. She's known as the Angela Davis of hip hop, Monet Smith, better known as Medusa, the gangster goddess, the undisputed queen of West Coast underground hip hop. Pop locking is really what indoctrinated me in hip hop. Mm. I don't think I don't even think I realized it was hip hop at that time. Right. You know, it was a it was a, a happening. Mm -hmm. It was a moment of release. We're gonna be getting into her career, knowing her whole story, and breaking down all the elements of hip hop. This week on the frequency only on the Black Star Network. My name is Lena Charles, and I'm from Opelousas, Louisiana. Yes. That is Zodico capital of the world. My name is Margaret Chappelle. I'm from Dallas, Texas, representing the Urban Trivia Game. It's me, Sherry Shepard, and you know what you watch. Roland Martin on Unfiltered. All right, folks, the recent Supreme Court decision uh, when it came to uh, a, a, a map out of Alabama... Uh, could have far-reaching implications uh, if this moves forward and if the Supreme Court doesn't go another direction. Uh, we could have uh, anywhere from two to five additional uh, majority black congressional districts. Joining us right now to talk about this is uh, Duell Ross, the Deputy Director of Litigation for the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Uh, glad to have you here. So let's let's um, so, so exp explain this here. So obviously, the maps in Alabama, uh, a lower court ruled that they were discriminatory because they were, because they were packing folks, uh, in, you know, in the district. What now happens? Because uh, we already see how Alabama, actually, I'm sorry, not Alabama, how Louisiana is now trying to change their arguments uh, after the Supreme Court decision because there was a, that, that because there was a ruling by other federal judges that there should be an additional district, uh, a congressional seat there as well. That's right. So what happened is last Thursday, the Supreme Court handed down a decision in which it affirmed the uh, three-judge lower court ruling that Alabama's maps were racially discriminatory and that they violated the Voting Rights Act. And what that means practically is that in Alabama, by next year, there will be a second district in which black voters will have an opportunity to elect uh, a new black uh, member of Congress. 
And I think, you know, and, you were, uh, um, yep. You were referencing, no, go ahead, go ahead. You were referencing Louisiana. We have LDF, the Legal Defense Fund, the organization I work for, has a separate lawsuit in Louisiana that was put on hold by the Supreme Court pending uh, the, the ruling in Alabama. And now that we were successful in Alabama, uh, what's likely to happen is that the Supreme Court will send the, the Louisiana case back as well, meaning that there could be up to uh, at least two, uh, as you said, maybe even more congressional districts in which black voters will have more representation ahead of the 2024 elections. We also are still dealing with those illegal maps that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, pushed through as well. Uh, and then this decision could also open up other opportunities in other states, correct? That's absolutely right. So this decision reaffirms the importance of the Voting Rights Act for the first time the Supreme Court, uh, in a long time the Supreme Court has recognized that this uh, a certain form of discrimination can uh, be challenged under the Voting Rights Act and can continue to be challenged under the Voting Rights Act. What Alabama was trying to do was essentially blow up the framework that courts and plaintiffs have used for uh, at least 40 years. And so with this ruling in which the court reaffirms the importance of the Voting Rights Act, uh, I think you're going to see a lot more litigation in the, uh, under the act in which black voters uh, in Alabama and all over the country will have new opportunities to elect candidates of their choice from uh, majority black districts. And the other voters of color, you know, I think the, the, the act is often thought about for helping African-Americans, but it also will open up opportunities for Latinos, Asian-Americans and other minority groups. Uh, and I, I, we, we were discussing economics earlier, and one of the things that I keep saying that when we talk about these districts, when we talk about uh, what, what, they, what they create, that also li lends itself to uh, the, the, those areas being economic, uh, uh, economically impacted as well, based upon representation. Uh, and so this is not just a political uh, uh, impact, this has economic impact for a lot of our people. That's absolutely right. One of the things that we argued before the lower court and that the Supreme Court recognized is that, you know, our challenge wasn't just to Alabama's map as, uh, you know, uh, Alabama's map. It was about a specific part of Alabama, which is called the Black Belt region. Uh, it runs through the middle of the state. It's uh, a little more than a dozen counties that are majority black because that's where black people were brought to work during slavery. And many of the direct ancestors of those people who were originally brought there still live there. And what Alabama has done, even though the Black Belt is this well-recognized community in, in that state, is that they divided the, uh, the congressional districts there. They could divide the Black Belt into four districts when it's possible to draw the Black Belt into two majority black districts. And what that has meant for the people of Alabama who live there is a lack of representation in Congress. They, uh, you know, a really great example of this is that the Black Belt is a place that as the trial court said in this case, is more akin to the developing world in a lot of ways than it is to uh, the rest of America. They have they lack clean water. They often lack uh, infrastructure. Um, they lack like hospitals, good schools, roads, uh, indoor sanitation. And what uh, this will do is give them more representation in Congress. As I was saying, a good example of that is the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed 
a few years ago, in which Mitch McConnell could vote to, you know, give more resources to rural communities like the Black Belt, but only one of Alabama's seven congressional uh, members voted for that bill, and that was Terry Sewell, who was elected by black voters in the Black Belt. And so, you know, it's really important that uh, this not be thought of as you know, getting one more black member of Congress, but really to get more representation and more resources to this uh, specific part of Alabama and part of our country. Questions from our panel. Greg, call you first. Uh, thank you, Roland. And um, thank you, Counselor. I, I, want, I wonder, since they've sent it back to Alabama to redraw and you anticipate the same thing happening in Louisiana and the other places you have legislation uh, um, litigation pending, how do you do you imagine they're going to try some of the chicanery that they got away with in 2017 with Gill versus Whitford? Uh, I know it wasn't a voting rights case, but how do you have any concerns about them attempting to move some of this chicanery into the category of partisan gerrymandering, where the court has said generally that that's not justiciable, that they don't have anything to do with that at the state level? Or is that nothing we should be worried about? That's not, I think, something that we should be worried about, given that we now have five justices on, on the Supreme Court recognizing that the existing framework under the Voting Rights Act is valid, is constitutional, and is the way in which these cases should be decided. As I said, you know, this is unlike partisan gerrymandering, which was sort of a a, uh, a new standard that uh, the plaintiffs in, in the Whitford case were trying to establish. This is a standard that has existed uh, for at least 40 years that the Supreme Court and that Congress has repeatedly endorsed. And so um, given that the, the Supreme Court wrote this very strong opinion by Chief Justice Roberts, who 10 years ago you know, wrote an opinion that ripped the heart out of the Voting Rights Act, I, I feel very confident that the act is safe for the foreseeable future and that it will continue to be used in a way that will protect vote, black voters. Um, and one thing that I think is probably helpful context for your viewers is that, you know, the cases under the Voting Rights Act are not about uh, partisanship. It's not about, you know, Democrats versus Republicans. What, what you have to prove in these cases is actually that um, it's race that is driving the way in which people vote. So that's black voters, in our case specifically, were had specific candidates that they were supporting, usually black candidates, in Democratic primaries, in uh, general elections. And white voters, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, were voting against the candidates that black voters preferred and against black candidates. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to emphasize that this case was about racial discrimination, not about, uh, you know, partisan advantage. Racy. Can you talk a little bit about the timeline for these new maps being redrawn? I mean, I read that this is going back to the lower courts. And I just don't trust Republicans to not continue to play games, run out the clock, and then we're stuck with a situation where we're too close, again, to the primaries or to elections. So can you just inform us about what the timeline looks like for this new map that's going to be redrawn? Sure. The timeline is that, you know, it's back to the three judges who initially found uh, in a 200, over 200-page opinion that Alabama had violated uh, the rights of my clients. And what the lower court will do is give the state an opportunity to draw a map. But if the state fails to draw a map that gives black voters a fair opportunity in two congressional districts, then the court has the opportunity to draw a map, and the court is obligated to draw a map in which black voters will will 
get the opportunities that they deserve into congressional districts and to do so in time long before uh, there's any sort of issue with the election timeline. So, uh, you know, given where we are now in the middle of 2023 and the election is not until 2024, uh, it's very likely that this issue will, will be resolved in the next few months and we'll have congressional maps that are, uh, you know, clear in terms of where people will run and, and what these maps look like. Michael. All right, Attorney Ross. Um, yeah, you know, this is, a, I think, a really important ruling. Um, this ruling here dealt with Section 2 of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, whereas with uh, other rulings like um, Shelby County versus Holder, you know, you're dealing with Section 4, Section 5, the preclearance. Can you explain the significance of Section 2? And from my understanding, the provisions of Section 2 don't expire, whereas with other sections of the Voting Rights Act, those provisions expire. That's exactly right. And so what was at issue here is Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. It's a law that has existed since 1965, but was amended in 1982 to make clear that any uh, voting system, whether it's, you know, the way in which congressional districts are drawn, uh, whether it's because cities or uh, uh, county commissions are electing their, uh, their representatives at large, whether it's things like voter ID laws, Section 2 is used to attack those laws. And if you can demonstrate that uh, the law has a disparate impact, as well as, you know, uh, a series of, of factors that go into it uh, to show that racial discrimination is the cause of that disparate impact, then federal courts can enjoin uh, those discriminatory systems. And so here, what Alabama was doing is that they were not only saying that the Voting Rights Act doesn't apply to these kinds of challenges to congressional districts, but they were challenging the constitutionality of the act itself. And uh, the Supreme Court, for the first time uh, in a historic decision last week, ruled that the Voting Rights Act is constitutional when it's used to uh, attack discriminatory congressional districts and that the Voting Rights Act can continue to be used uh, for the foreseeable future. So as you said, the Shelby County decision 10 years ago was about the preclearance regime, which is sort of a regime. This is about the, the general prohibition against voting discrimination, uh, which applies to all states everywhere uh, and is permanent. All right. Thank you. All right, then. Well, look, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thanks a bunch for breaking this down for us, and uh, we'll see uh, what happens next. Thank you so much for having me. Folks, got to go to break. We'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button, folks. So you're commenting, hit the like button. Also, download our app. Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, check in money orders, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, you're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause 
too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. On the next, A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, owning your energy and how to use it. Trust me, it impacts the people on your job, who you attract, and even your love life. What you give out is what comes back to you. So like attracts like, right? So if you come in with a negative space and I match that negative energy, then two seconds later, somebody else coming with more negative energy and then I was just always just matching negative stuff. And here's the kicker. If you're not careful, that energy can even be stolen. That's all next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. Hello, I'm Jamia Pugh. I am from Coatesville, Pennsylvania, just an hour right outside of Philadelphia. My name is Jasmine Pugh. I'm also from Coatesville, Pennsylvania. You are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay right here. Janice Goldsboro was last seen in Wilmington, Delaware on March 30th. The 15-year-old is 5 feet 8 inches tall, weighs 120 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Anyone with information about uh, Dajanese Goldsboro should call the Newcastle County, Delaware Police Department at 302-573-2800. 302-573-2800. All right, y'all. Lord have mercy. Now, anytime Lauren Bober talks, she knows it's going to be some stupid stuff come out. But she had she got straight jacked by Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett of Texas. Uh, they they had they had a, a guest who was talking about the ATF and issue with guns and Bobert being just the dumb person that she is. She showed us just really she is not the she is not the brightest bulb in the dark room. Play. Um, would you say that this is an abuse of that separation of power? Because that rule is not something that Congress has delegated, but the ATF has taken it upon itself to regulate this rule that they created to make millions of Americans felons. With respect, I was trying to answer your question before you interrupted me to say that the ATF had, in each of these instances, sufficient statutory authority mm. from Congress mm. and that so, that, any challenges to that... Ms. Katzen, it is my time. So uh, Congress never authorized the ATF to ban pistol braces. Congress never authorized the ATF to do that, to make millions of Americans felons overnight. And so I would go back to your statement that you said in your testimony um, that... Uh, these agencies are not free agencies, and they can only do what Congress has delegated to them to do. Congress is not Ms. Katzen, specific. Ms. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Excuse me. Thank you. My you... time. No, ma'am. It's my time. Thank you. Oh, I'm Ms. sorry. Katzen, so you are not in interested in my views. It is my time. Thank you. In your sorry, testimony, you're not you, in my you stated Congress delegates, but then some officials are quick to condemn the agencies for. Well, that was rude. That didn't sit too well with Jasmine Crockett. Here's a Texas Congresswoman. This committee runs my pressure up. Uh, and, and, and I. I do come prepared to committee, and then there's always somebody from this side that does something ridiculous that, that throws me all the way off. So, uh, oh, Jesus. Okay, so this is where we're going to start, Ms. Kaskin. Um, it, first of all, let me apologize because that was uncalled for. So let me do what she would never do, uh, which is to be an adult in this room or in this chamber. So let me start there. I'm also going to start with some nonsense that she was trying to spew. And unlike Ms. Bobert, I am legally trained and I've passed a few bar exams. Uh, and I also legislated before I got here. So I do want to start with um, correcting the record a little bit. And if you want to add to that, please do. Uh, there was conversation about ATF because my colleagues love to talk about their guns, baby. Uh, and I'm from Texas. So let me be clear. I also own firearms. Let me scream. Democrats own guns, too. Let me make it clear. I, I own guns, and I'm licensed to carry. That is a regulation. Regulations aren't necessarily bad. It didn't stop me from being able to get a gun. Um, so we were talking about, or y'all were talking about the ATF, which I wasn't going there. I didn't plan to go there. Uh, but you know what? I, I honestly wish the ATF would run amok because we know that Seemingly, the people that run this chamber 
don't have the courage to come up with one of the things we've heard is common sense regulations when it comes to guns. And to be clear, our Constitution, the Second Amendment, anticipates people having common sense. Unfortunately, we have not done that. And unfortunately, it has cost us lives. So when you were testifying a little bit earlier, you talked about unintended consequences and the fact that we are supposed to be able to anticipate that as lawmakers when we are writing laws. Unfortunately, not only have we ignored the unintended consequences, but we've got foreseeable consequences that are continually ignored. And that is why we are talking about regulation, at least on this side of the aisle. And our definition of common sense is one that doesn't keep us in the pockets of corporations, but keeps us in the pockets of the people. Because what I'm trying to do is save lives. My job isn't here to make sure that I'm pushing the bottom line for some corporation, but it's to make sure that the people that put me into this seat which were actual people, individuals, to make sure that I can save lives. So let's talk about my state, because we always got good stuff coming out, out of Texas. Unfortunately, my state decided that it didn't want to be a part of the overall national grid, because my state did not want to deal with all of the quote-unquote red tape. The cost of that was lives. So we had this winter storm, and here it was, I was freshly being sworn into the Texas House, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I started getting calls because there is this thing called climate change. Hello, nobody's in the chamber on the other side. But climate change is this real thing. And so in Texas, we had this terrible storm that took place, and uh, even though we are an energy capital, not just in this country, but in the world, for clean and dirty energy, Unfortunately, we couldn't keep our own lights on, and it was all because they wanted to avoid red tape. You know what the cost of that was? It was human lives. And I think that that's what being, what's being lost. You know what happened in Palestine or East Palestine? The cost was human lives. Unfortunately, seemingly some people don't want to consider human lives as an actual cost. The only cost that they ever talk about is dollars. Well, let me be clear. I'm not here because of corporate dollars. I'm here because of people. And so I am curious to know, and I'm going to give you, and I usually run out of time. I'm going to be clear. I always run out of time because they always give me too much to do. But because of the way that you were treated, I am going to allow you the courtesy of expounding upon what it was that you were talking about with these agencies, which is pretty much what I understood, which is they only did what they were delegated to do, because if ATF could do more, I'm sure that we would actually get rid of the assault rifles that are constantly killing our babies every single day in this country. But go ahead, Ms. Kaskin, with the last 20 seconds. Well, I, I appreciate your comments, and I thank you for them. That's how you gather somebody, Reese. Oh, yeah. Jasmine, or I should say... <clears throat> Congresswoman Crockett is here taking no prisoners. And I, I just, I love her delivery. I love her style. But the fact of the matter is she has the receipts to back it up. And, and I love that she isn't 
always letting the Republicans set the terms of the conversation. That's what they like to do. They like to manufacture crises, is one thing she said on Twitter. And uh, the Democrats need to do a better job, and I think she's a shining example, of reminding people of where the real threats are. The real threats are from Republican government incompetence, as well as obstruction, and as well as indifference to the people and constituents that they serve, as opposed to their fealty to these gun nuts, the lobbyists for the gun nuts, and to their corporate donors. So salute to Jasmine Crockett, Congresswoman Crockett. She's a breath of fresh air in this new Congress. Uh, I, I tell you, uh, it is is always uh, shameful, Michael, when when you ask folk questions and then you don't want to let them give the answer. Uh, now, if they start lying, I mean, you can you can correct them, but geez, but 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 it shows you just how dumb Bobert is. Absolutely, and 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 the people that voted for Bobert are dumb as well. Um, and the the I, I can't stress this enough, Roland. The difference between Jim Jordan being the chair of that committee, the difference between Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House or Hakeem Jeffries being Speaker of the House, it was about seven thousand votes in a handful of House districts. Okay, and so I I hear people saying, "Oh, we're not going to vote unless we get reparations." Most of those people can't tell you how many votes it takes to get a bill passed in the House of Representatives or how many uh, votes it takes to get a bill passed in the U.S. Senate, okay? So we have to vote these crazy people out of office because if you go to congress.gov and you go look at these bills that we say we want, we go look and see how these people vote, overwhelmingly Republicans keep voting against our own interests. So why would we let them take back control of the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate? or the White House, okay? So we have to understand how to play for keeps and how to play this game to win. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, all right, uh, first of all, uh, I, I got to get your um, thoughts uh, on this, uh, uh, Greg, because he, he, here's the thing that I think people need to understand. Again, we talk about why voting matters and why these things are critically important. Boebert barely won in the last election, okay? The person who she, who she uh, beat, is running against her again. Every House seat is up for re-election in 2024. These folks can be thrown out of office. They don't have to be in power, but if folks just sort of sit at home and chill and go, eh, I don't like what I'm seeing, we're going to have these crazies in charge again and again. Absolutely. And to echo what uh, Mike just said, you know, these are very thin margins. When we talked to David Pepper uh, from Ohio in his book, Laboratories of Autocracy, we interviewed him at the Black Table a couple of months ago. He talked about the fact that they have gerrymandered these districts so narrowly and so in such a contorted form that, you know, the only way to overcome them in the short term is to turn out the vote. And, uh, yeah, Bobert lost, I mean, won by a handful of votes in Aurora, which is the third largest city in uh, in, uh, in Colorado and the, I think like the 51st largest city in, in the in the country, how many people didn't vote? And, you know, it's, it's very important for us to understand that John Roberts, you know, people are saying, oh, he did the right thing. Yeah. With that rocket docket, that shadow docket, what they did was play red light, green light and froze those districts in place. And as you said earlier, had those districts been uh, drawn correctly, they would, the Republicans would not have the majority in the House of Representatives today. SCOTUS knew what it was doing because they held in place Louisiana and all those other places. And so I guess what I'm saying is it comes down to this. Jasmine Crockett is fighting. 
she's doing what she can along with the rest of the Congressional Black Caucus and, and other folk. But, you know, you can only hold the line for so long in a society where people have decided they're just going to check out. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Congresswoman Crockett, who uh, uh, Wednesday night became the first black woman Democrat to play in the congressional softball game. I guess she plays to win on the field and off the field. Doesn't matter what it is. So the Texas 30th is being represented. Congratulations. The Colorado 3rd, not so much. Uh, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, Greg, Reese, Michael, I appreciate y'all being on today's panel. Thank you so very much for joining us. Folks, uh, coming up next, my conversation with historian and professor, uh, Dr. Gerald Horn. He has a new book out. It is called The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow and the Roots of American Fascism. If you want to understand what is happening today, in Texas, in Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, all of these places, you do not want to miss this conversation up next with Dr. Gerald Horn, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Question for you, are you stuck? Do you feel like you're hitting a wall and it's keeping you from achieving prosperity? Well, you're not alone. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you're going to learn what you need to do to become unstuck and unstoppable. The fabulous author, Janine K. Brown, will be with us sharing with you exactly what you need to do to finally achieve the level of financial success you desire through your career. Because when I talk about being bold in the workplaces, I'm talking about that inner boldness that you have um, to, to take a risk to go after what you want, to speak up uh, when others are not. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr, a very different take on Juneteenth with the one and only Dr. Sunyata Ahmed. We'll explore the amazing foods, remedies, and rituals that are a part of our history and the Juneteenth holiday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. It's our responsibility to return the healthier version to our folks instead of just the red liqueurs marketed to us, the red sodas and the other things. I mean, why does the Kool-Aid man have to sound like Louis Armstrong? He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. An enlightening and tasty hour of the Black Table only on the Black Star Network. All right, Gerald, uh, good to see you again. You've got uh, another, first of all, you got another book. This is number what? Well, uh, let, let's say three dozen. <laughs> so th this was the one, so was it you, when you were doing COVID, uh, you had so much extra time, you say, let me just crank this one out? Well, basically, what happened to get down into the weeds is that with COVID, I went into lockdown that I did not exit until last fall. But what I did was I obtained a microfilm reading machine, and that allowed me to read a lot of microfilm, particularly from the early days of Texas and Mexico, and take notes and help to produce this book. Wow, wow. Well, I mean, it's, it's um, uh, first of all, it's uh, a whole lot. Of, before we actually get, I mean, get into the book, Again, for folks who just don't understand uh, uh, this process, I mean, how, how much, first of all, we're talking about 575 pages. How long did it take you to research and write? Well, that's a good question. But keep in mind, when you do these books, you don't work on them every day, at least I don't. And because usually I'm working on two or three, perhaps four projects at a time. Having said that, I would say that this book, which was published in 2022, I probably began in 2016, 2017. Wow, so about a five-year period. Exactly. So you called it the counter-revolution of 1836. Why? Well, as you know more than most, given your roots in the U.S. Southwest, Texas was once part of Mexico. But the slave owners of Texas, led by Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston, who gave their names to two of the major cities in what is now U.S. state, uh, were opposed to the abolition of slavery in Mexico, executed by a president of African descent, speaking of Vicente Guerrero, 200 years, by the way, before the election of Barack Obama in the United States in 2008. And rather than accede to abolition, uh, they seceded, fought a war, defeated Mexico on the battlefield, not least with the armed resistance and supplies from the United States of America, and then began to expand the enslavement of Africans. In fact, when Texas was an independent country between 1836 and 1845, not only could the slave ships of the Lone Star State be found off the coast of Angola and Brazil and Cuba. But as well, keep in mind that 
these leaders in Texas were so full of themselves that they thought that they could challenge the United States of America, despite the fact that the States of America uh, helped them to solidify their independence from Mexico. So it's a very uh, tawdry tale, at least in the early stages. And I don't feel you can begin to understand why it is that Texas has the largest black population in the United States of America as we speak without understanding this history. And I don't think you can begin to understand why Texas plays an outsized role in right-wing politics in the United States of America without understanding the anti-African sentiment that helped to drive independence and then statehood, and without understanding as well the bloody wars against the indigenous population. Uh, in fact, uh, even though California might quibble with this point, uh, Texas probably had the bloodiest wars of all against the indigenous population, which at the end of the day helped to create more land and territory for the enslavement of Africans. Uh, it's interesting. The other day I was um, on social media and I came across something that was interesting. There was a brother who did a video uh, to explain why there's a sliver of Oklahoma that's just above the panhandle in Texas. Uh, and he, in the video, he goes, slavery. And again, as a native Texan, I saw that and I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that. Uh, ex explain that. Well, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> the shape of Oklahoma has been described as a bloody cleaver uh, hanging over Texas. It's interesting about the state of Oklahoma as well. Uh, I'm sure you have listeners uh, in the Sooner State. And Oklahoma was originally designed to be a Bantustan, not unlike what you had during apartheid South Africa, where the Africans were moved into certain territories and not allowed to move elsewhere. Recall that then U.S. President Andrew Jackson, who was Donald Trump's favorite president, he had his picture hanging on the wall in his office, it was Andrew Jackson who now graces the $20 bill, perhaps more accurately disgraces the $20 bill, who expelled the indigenous population of the Southeast Quadrant in the United States, uh, present-day Georgia, uh, the Carolinas, Tennessee, and told them they could live in this Bantustan Indian territory for as long as the water shall flow and the grass shall grow. And what's interesting about some of these indigenous populations, particularly of the Cherokee, was that they were willing to accommodate themselves and assimilate uh, to Euro-American society, uh, converting to Christianity, becoming sedentary farmers, up to and including enslaving Africans, by the way. And so when they were expelled, they brought their enslaved property with them to Indian territory, but alas, as you know more than most, uh, Black people in North America have a penchant for rebellion, and they began to rebel against Native American territory. And it was very difficult for them because they had to cross Texas territory to get to freedom uh, in Mexico. So uh, this is a very uh, troubled history. And once again, I don't think you can begin to understand the rancid conservatism that now persists in Oklahoma and Texas 
with our understanding of this history. And, and by the way, allow me to, to make a, a footnote about the uh, Tulsa massacre of a hundred odd years ago. I'm sure many in your audience are familiar with what happened in the Greenwood section of Tulsa, Oklahoma, oftentimes described as Black Wall Street. And to the extent that that the nickname is accurate, you have to trace it back to the slavery days. You have to trace it back to 1865 when slavery was abolished and the Indian slave owners were forced to disgorge more of their wealth and property <laughs> to the formerly enslaved than their Euro-American counterparts. And that helped to create uh, a somewhat relatively lucrative community, affluent community, I should say. And uh, this was too much for many of the settlers and that led directly uh, to the Tulsa massacre uh, circa 1921, uh, when hundreds were massacred, uh, their graves were still being uncovered uh, as we speak. Uh, many of them were forced to flee. Some of them left the country, some of them moved to Canada. So once again, this is a very uh, unfortunate history that needs to be better known. So on the cover here, uh, you have an image of folks being lynched. You have the Texas flag, but you have this 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 Nazi uh, flag. Why? Well, <laughs> I'm afraid to say that the direction in which the United States is heading right now is very perilous. It's not me who's raised the F word uh, instantly. Recall that during the uh, campaigns, congressional campaigns last year, President Joseph R. Biden suggested that the United States under Republican Party rule could be headed towards fascism. It was the late Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, who wrote an entire book, Fascism, a Warning, about that. Many uh, leaders, intellectuals are very concerned about this, which could portend the acceleration of already toxic trends, those toxic trends being uh, more Black people on death row, more black people being subjected to police terror, more black people uh, treated like Breonna Taylor uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, with the authorities knocking down your door and coming in and killing you. And so what I'm arguing in this book is that to the extent that we are worried about the rise of fascism in the United States, which once again would just be an acceleration of already existing trends, we have to understand that Texas in particular has created fertile soil for the rise of fascism, uh, given the fact that it was a premier state for enslavement. Uh, as I talk about in the book, as the so-called Confederate States of America was collapsing, I'm speaking of the states in the Deep South, Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, et cetera, recall that in 1861, they decided to leave the United States because they wanted to enslave Africans forevermore and overthrow the government under Abraham Lincoln in Washington as a result. Uh, as their dream was collapsing, you saw that many enslavers began to move in mass to Texas with their property in tow because they felt that Texas had the best chance of surviving and basically continuing slavery. Hatred on the streets, a horrific...
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. Seen a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. That was a pivotal, pivotal time. I remember mm. Kevin, Kevin Hart telling me that. Um, he's like, man, what you doing, man? You gotta stay on stage. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm like, uh, I ain't got, you know, I'm young, thinking, man, I'm good. <clears throat> and he was absolutely right. What, 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 what show was the other time? This was one-on-one. Got During it. During that time. I, and I was, so, you, so you're doing one-on-one, yep. going great, yeah. you're making money, you're like, I'm like, I don't need to leave. I don't need, I don't need to leave from, you know, third, Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. I, I, you know, I, I just I didn't want to do that. You know, it was just like, I'm going to stay here. Oh, I didn't want to finish work Friday, fly out, go do a gig Saturday, Sunday. I was like, I don't have to do that. And, and I lost a little bit of that hunger that I had mm. in New York. I would hit all the clubs, run around. I, you know, sometimes me and Chappelle or me and this one or that one, we'd go to the comedy cellar at one in the morning. And I mean, that was our life. Loved it. You know, you do two shows in Manhattan, go to Brooklyn, leave Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to Jersey. And I kind of just, I got complacent. Well, I was like, I got this money, I'm good, I don't need to go, I don't need to go chase that because that money wasn't at the same level that I was making 
But what I was missing was that training. Yes. Was that, was that. And it wasn't the money. It was the money, you know, it was that, that's what I needed. There's a story about Juneteenth that I could tell if we have time that helps to illustrate that point. Yeah, we got time. <laughs> okay. Well, let me digress for a moment. You know the story about Juneteenth, I'm sure, June 16th, 1865, supposedly a General Granger of the U.S. government shows up in Galveston and tells the enslaved Africans, hey, didn't you people know you were free? Didn't you hear about the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863? Well, that's more or less a fairy tale uh, because the Emancipation Proclamation uh, issued by President Lincoln did not apply in jurisdictions that Lincoln did not control. It would be as if the U.S. Congress uh, passed a resolution saying that uh, slavery is abolished in, let us say, Mauritania and Northwest Africa. Well, unless the U.S. Congress put boots on the ground in Northwest Africa, and I don't want to put ideas in their head, given their propensity for intervening in foreign lands, uh, unless they put boots on the ground, that would just basically be a paper resolution. And that was the impact and effect of the Emancipation Proclamation until General Granger and his troops showed up to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. The, the Africans in Galveston, they knew about the Emancipation Proclamation, but what could they do? They were being forced at gunpoint to work for free. But what happens is that during the period of the U.S. Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a close ally of the slave owners, speaking of France, had seized control of Mexico. This leads to the Mexican-American holiday, Cinco de Mayo, uh, which you may be familiar with, your audience may be familiar with, which celebrates a victory of Mexican opposition forces over the French occupiers. So the idea in Texas and in the Confederate states in general was to retreat in mass to the border area with Mexico, perhaps go back into Mexico and reverse the abolitionist decree that I mentioned a moment or two ago, uh, issued by the black president, Vicente Guerrero, and continue enslavement of Africans uh, forevermore. Uh, but what happens is that the U.S. Army then had a, a few hundred thousand black men in uniform with guns in their hand. They allied with Mexican opposition forces led by the Mexican national hero, Benito Juarez, Ciudad Juarez, just across the border from El Paso, Texas, is named after him. And they helped to crush the uh, French occupiers. And in fact, that helped to crush the idea that slavery would continue uh, in Mexico, uh, in league with Texas enslavers and Virginia enslavers and Carolina enslavers. And one could fairly say that the real Juneteenth is June 19th, 1867, when the black men with guns in hand allied with Mexicans also with guns in hand 
crush the French occupiers, and not only crush the French occupiers, but then execute the French leader in Mexico, Maximilian, on June 19, 1867. And that brings the United States closer to enslavement, more so than the original story of Juneteenth, June 19, 1865, which we had been fed. What's interesting about that is because when you look at, um, uh, again, Texas lore, those of us born and raised in Texas required to have Texas history uh, in the seventh grade, uh, when we're told about uh, the Alamo and uh, this, this, this great story about uh, uh, the fight to save Texas, the Alamo was about slavery. Absolutely. And of course, many of the Euro-American settlers who were, quote, defending, unquote, the Alamo against incursions from Mexican forces were not only enslavers, but in some cases, uh, slave traders. And it's interesting, as I point out in the book, one of the ways we know what happened in the Alamo, which, as you, I'm sure, recall, is cited uh, within the confines of San Antonio, Texas, is that an enslaved African ha was either allowed to escape by Mexicans or somehow escaped, and he was then able to spread the story of what happened at the Alamo, which has now become a kind of a sacred site with regard to many Texans. You may know that a lot of our tax dollars in Texas have been spent restoring the Alamo. The uh, British musician who now lives in the United States, speaking of Phil Collins, uh, has become a benefactor uh, of the Alamo site for whatever reason. I'm not really sure how he got so intrigued by this story and has pumped a lot of his fortune uh, into restoring the Alamo. It's, it's a very curious story. Well, I, I think that the, the reason I raise that is because... Uh, I think back to uh, the phrase uh, of, uh, that, that you always heard uh, Paul Harvey say, now the rest of the story. Right. And when I think, when I think about the attacks on uh, the 1619 Project, I think about the attacks on Black historians, uh, when I think about, when we, when we talk about the redefinition of American history, Again, as somebody who was raised, born and raised in Texas, we were raised to celebrate the Alamo. It was about Texas fighting against these savages from Mexico who were trying to take over, and these were independent-minded people. And so you got Black folks who are walking around, remember the Alamo, remember the Alamo, and uh, <laughs> movies were made about it. And so... You want us to remember that the people who were fighting for the Alamo wanted to keep us in chains. And what they want is, and bring it in present day, they don't want people today to know the, the other, the, or as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, the other side of that story. And so we want to keep up this fantasy because in this country, that's what it's all about the fantasy of American history where we were, where white Americans were always the saviors and were perfect and they were just wonderful. When in fact, 
or we're talking about or just prime examples of pure evil. Well, that's an understatement, I'm afraid to say. And this is very serious. Even though we're talking about events of the past, they have contemporary resonance. That's the only way to explain what's going on in the state of Florida now with Governor DeSantis, who is now on the verge of declaring that he will be running for the Republican nomination for president against Mr. Trump, has campaigned relentlessly with regard to what he describes as, quote, wokeness, unquote, which in many ways comes down to campaigning against an accurate rendition of Black history. That's why he sought to circumscribe the teaching of advanced placement African-American studies uh, in secondary schools uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, that's why in the New York Times uh, today, uh, March 30th, 2023, you have an article by Charles Blow, the Black columnist, who describes an effort in the state of Florida to prevent the showing of a docudrama about the little black girl, Ruby Bridges in Louisiana, who tried to desegregate a school and was subjected to harassment and persecution by Euro-American adults uh, as a direct result. Uh, that's why in the state of Florida, you have campaigns against novels by the Nobel laureate, the late black woman writer and creator, Toni Morrison. Uh, it's not as if uh, this campaign is directed against uh, any ideas about uh, overthrowing the United States government or something of that sort. It's just there's a campaign against an accurate rendition of Black history. And there are those like Governor DeSantis and his acolytes who feel that an accurate rendition of Black history uh, calls into question the creation myth about the United States of America. That is to say that it is a flawless nation. It's a nation without blemishes that uh, we, and in order to uphold that fiction and fantasy, uh, we have to whitewash, pardon the expression, uh, great swaths of the historical record. And this is quite dangerous, uh, as I'm sure you can understand, uh, to our younger people in particular. Because on the one hand, uh, they're growing up uh, wondering why it is that uh, they're being harassed by the police, why they're being stopped when they're driving their cars, and others uh, who do not have the same content of melanin are not treated similarly. And if they had a better understanding of the history of this country, they can understand the reality of this country. And if they can understand the reality of this country, they might want to protest against the reality of this country. But Governor DeSantis uh, and his comrades, the last thing they want to see is the specter of Black people protesting against racism and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause to long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 200-37- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Question for you Are you stuck? Do you feel like you're hitting a wall and it's keeping you from achieving prosperity? Well, you're not alone. On the next Get Wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. You're going to learn what you need to do to become unstuck and unstoppable. The fabulous author, Janine K. Brown, will be with us sharing with you exactly what you need to do to finally achieve the level of financial success you desire through your career. Because when I talk about being bold in the workplaces, I'm talking about that inner boldness that you have um, to, to take a risk to go after what you want, to speak up uh, when others are not. That's right here on Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Up next on The Frequency with me, Dee Barnes. She's known as the Angela Davis of hip hop, Monet Smith, better known as Medusa, the gangster goddess, the undisputed queen of West Coast underground hip hop. Pop locking is really what indoctrinated me in hip hop. 
Mm. I don't think I don't even think I realized it was hip hop at that time. Right. You know, it was a it was a, a happening. Mm-hmm. It was a moment of release. We're gonna be getting into her career, knowing her whole story, and breaking down all the elements of hip hop. This week on the frequency only on the Black Star Network. And the reason for me why why all of this is so vitally important is because I've long talked about uh, the need for there to be a reprogramming of African-Americans um, in that how we approach certain things, how we look at certain things. And when you begin to read and begin to study and begin to realize how powerful white supremacy uh, has been, what, what it has created, but not just white supremacy, how it's impacted African-Americans, also how white supremacy has impacted whites in that what this other framing of the story has done is to give them a false view. And and, and I believe, which is what, which is, which was the thesis of my book, White Fear, the reason these white folks, these baby boomers and some of these Gen Xers are so angry right now is because they can't handle the fact that their white children and their white grandchildren are now hearing the other side of the story. And they're now looking at America in a much different way. And they're now challenging America. And so this, this, this effort to attack DEI and critical race theory, to attack anything dealing with race, where you're right, white kid in a, in a government class is uncomfortable when civil rights comes up, so the class is canceled. Let's not show, ooh, the language in this movie uh, about Ruby Bridges. Oh, we can't have a little young white kid seeing that because they might feel bad when they hear the N-word being spoken because they might start asking, Grandmama, was that you? And so that's really what we're dealing with. And we're dealing with people, if they say, if we could just stop the Gerald Horns of the world from writing and teaching and these white kids from learning, then we may hold on to this fallacy as long as we can. And that's really what the aim is. Well, I'm afraid that you're right, but uh, I hope I'm not going out on a limb when I suggest that that is a losing struggle. Because even if somehow the Governor DeSantis of the world were able to circumscribe the teaching of accurate renditions of Black history in Florida, uh, that does not necessarily mean that that particular campaign will succeed in Brooklyn. It does not necessarily mean that it will succeed in Berkeley or Los Angeles. And given that this is one country uh, which is wired uh, through broadband, uh, it will not be that difficult for the kids in Florida to get stories from Los Angeles, from Berkeley, and from Brooklyn. And another thing, uh, Roland, I'm on the project, and just before we got on this call, uh, I was looking at reports from Ethiopia in the 1920s, where this Ethiopia, of course, at at that particular time, was one of the few 
sovereign states, along with Liberia, which was basically a neo-colony in a sense of the United States. And Ethiopia was wielding significant diplomatic influence because, um, because it was independent and sovereign. It was being courted by Russia, being courted by France, England, Italy, et cetera. And the leaders were playing off one against another. And the United States was trying to carry favor with Ethiopia. And so they were asking the Ethiopians to send their young people to the United States to study, which the Ethiopians did. But then the young Ethiopians began to complain about Jim Crow and U.S. apartheid, which was worsening the U.S. reputation in Addis Ababa. And so this puts pressure on the United States to move away from that hateful, spiteful system, which ultimately then benefits uh, Black Americans, people like your grandparents and my grandparents. And so once again, in the 21st century, uh, Florida is not an island. It's going to be very difficult for Florida to put push through these uh, anti-Black policies, not only in the face of opposition from Berkeley, Brooklyn, and Los Angeles, but also in the face of global opposition uh, from Africans, now the entire continent virtually is sovereign. Uh, the United States actually wants to attract more black students to campuses here because uh, to this point, the leading foreign students came from China, but now the United States-China relations are headed south. And so they wouldn't replace these Chinese students with African students, but how are they gonna do that? when Black people are treated so shabbily uh, in this country. So once again, you, you see this global pressure, this global dynamic, and hopefully uh, that will lead to a reversal of Governor DeSantis's policies. As you were talking, I'm sitting here uh, pulling up uh, various uh, items um, in, in how folks are framing different things, uh, describing the Texas Revolution, uh, talking about it was uh, it was a cause about federalism. It was about freedom. It was about independence. And see again, those are buzzwords. That's very easy to rally around. Yes, that's uh, we love the idea of being uh, separate and independent and 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 not having Mexican authorities uh, in control of this. But as as you laid out, they were abolitionists in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so you had folks who uh, were angry with that. Just like all these people are just bought at law and have mercy. They really, they really hot at you when you framed uh, the, the issue with the ending of slavery in Britain uh, as one of the reasons for uh, the American Revolution. And all these historians, oh, absolutely not. That was that it, it had nothing to do with that. And 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 again, it goes to this denial of the reality of how powerful slavery was. And for the people who just, again, who were clueless, it was the principal economic engine of America. And so this to act as if, oh, that was just sort of one part of this is really uh, just, we could just, it was really other issues. No, you, you, can't, you can't say uh, it was everything. It, it, it was the central thing. And so, again, what you have are folks who do not want that to be told. And so, and now that we, now that we can read, <laughs> we can research, 
now that we can write. I, I, I always, I use the phrase all the time, Gerald, um, we are living examples of their worst nightmare. <laughs> Negroes who can read. And now we can write and now we can publish and now we can broadcast. Oh, hell, we are, we are absolutely a threat to this whole system. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. It's not only that uh, on the verge of the U.S. Civil War, 1860, the investment in the bodies of enslaved Africans was the most valuable investment in this country, more, more valuable than the railroads, than the factories, than the mines. It's not only that, but when slavery was abolished in 1865, or per my previous remarks, uh, guaranteed in 1867 with the uh, overthrow of the French occupiers in Mexico, what happened is that those who controlled that those big ends in property, their property was taken without compensation. Now, interestingly enough, when slavery was ultimately abolished in Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad and Tobago, et cetera, the enslavers were compensated. Up until a few years ago, uh, London was continuing to pay off the descendants of the families who owned the enslaved. Uh, you know the story, I'm sure, about the, the abolition of slavery by force of arms in what is now Haiti, and then independent Haiti forced to pay reparations to the enslavers, which has crippled independent Haiti to this very day. In the United States, there was no <laughs> compensation paid to those whose property, quote unquote, was taken, quote unquote. And obviously that generates fury. When I'm teaching classes at the University of Houston uh, and telling this story, you know how students are today, I'm, I'm lecturing and they're fiddling with their smartphones for whatever reason, on TikTok or Facebook or whatever. And sometimes I'll go and snatch the smartphone from the student's hand and say, look, I've just taken your property without compensation. You're angry, right? You're furious, right? You want to take me outside and thrash me. Well, that's how the enslavers felt, or the former enslavers, I should say, felt in Texas and a good deal of Dixie, which leads to the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which had one of its strongest chapters in Texas, by the way. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan, for those who have been living under a rock in recent decades, was the terrorist white supremacist organization that sought to bring back what they considered to be the good old days of relentless and ruthless exploitation of people of African descent. And I would argue that in part, that decision is still relevant. That is to say the decision to expropriate the property of the enslavers without compensation, because I think it helps to generate this anti-Washington sentiment that you now see. Uh, anything coming out of Washington, according to the conservatives is bad, unless, of course, it benefits the military industrial complex or the oil industry, et cetera. But, you know, they'll basically organize a, a relentless campaign against what they call Obamacare because it's coming out of Washington and is at the behest of a president of, of African descent. You have many people going against their own interests just because it comes out of Washington, for example. The U.S. economy may seize up within weeks because of this debate over the United States paying its debts, which could jeopardize the potency and the viability of the entire U.S. economy, generated by this anti-Washington sentiment, anti-Washington sentiment that I would argue uh, comes from the fact that it was Washington, the federal government, uh, 
that presided over the expropriation of their property without compensation. It was Washington, the federal government, that defeated the dream of establishing a so-called Confederate States of America that would enslave Africans forevermore. And until we come to these very basic realizations, I'm afraid to say we're always going to be stumbling around in the dark. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, owning your energy and how to use it. Trust me, it impacts the people on your job, who you attract, and even your love life. What you give out is what comes back to you. So like attracts like, right? So if you come in with a negative space and I match that negative energy, then two seconds later, somebody else coming with more negative energy and then I was just always just matching negative stuff. And here's the kicker. If you're not careful, that energy can even be stolen. That's all next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr. A very different take on Juneteenth with the one and only Dr. Sunyata Ahmed. We'll explore the amazing foods, remedies, and rituals that are a part of our history and the Juneteenth holiday. So it's our responsibility to return the healthier version to our folks instead of just the red liqueurs marketed to us, the red sodas, and the other things. I mean, why does the Kool-Aid man have to sound like Louis Armstrong. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. An enlightening and tasty hour of the Black Table, only on the Black Star Network. I'm Faraji Muhammad, live from LA. And this is The Culture. The Culture is a two-way conversation. You and me, we talk about the stories, politics, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. So join our community every day at 3 p.m. Eastern and let your voice be heard. Hey, we're all in this together. So let's talk about it and see what kind of trouble we can get into. It's The Culture. Weekday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Set three only on the Black Star Network. 
Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. talk about the great compromise of 1877 which ushers in 92 years of Jim Crow uh, we think about uh, even in, even with the state of Texas uh, the battles there when it came to Thurgood Marshall and NAACP and others uh, trying to um, uh, break the backs of the Democratic primaries when we look at uh, again uh, uh, the systems that we're putting in place as you laid out uh, Jim Crow and the roots of U.S. fascism. I mean, what people just simply refuse to acknowledge is that all of these things, you have to look at present day things and to understand what led up to this, what created this, what put this in place, uh, the boundaries, the living conditions. Um, when you think, when you just think back to j just the treatment um, there's a movie being made about that, uh, black, uh, that, that black brigade, uh, a brigade of soldiers who got so sick of racism, uh, went on and just started killing white folks in Houston. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and very few people even know about that story. Uh, and so even so we talk about this, this counter revolution of 18, revolution of 1836, we talk about it, uh, Juneteenth. Uh, I keep reminding people. Y'all, the celebration of Juneteenth by Black folks wasn't just about General Granger. It was literally this, con this continual quest for freedom in Texas and in America. Well, I'm happy to hear that a movie is being made about what's been called the Camp Logan Mutiny of August 1917 in the city of Houston, when, as you suggest, uh, Black soldiers, many of whom were not necessarily familiar with the peculiar folkways of Jim Crow then obtaining in Houston, uh, whereby you had to sit on in the back of the trolley, uh, whereby you were not allowed to go into certain stores to try on clothes or shoes before you could buy them. That's one of the reasons why if you look at uh, old photographs, you'll oftentimes find 
uh, black people in ill-fitting garments because they're not allowed to try them on before uh, they buy them. And as a result of what these soldiers perceived in terms of the roughhousing and manhandling of black women in particular by the Houston Police Department, uh, they decide to run amok as it was described in the commercial press at that time, and began shooting up the place. And of course, they're eventually subdued, eventually uh, executed uh, in mass. And you are correct, that even though uh, that particular dastardly episode uh, took place within walking distance of where I'm sitting right now, uh, I dare say that if we were to go out on the streets of Houston and interview some of the passers-by about that startling episode, many of them would not have heard of it. And that's part of the whitewashing of U.S. history, the whitewashing of Black American history. It's part of this crusade, as noted, that Governor DeSantis is carrying out, but it's not just Governor DeSantis. Uh, you mentioned the 1619 Project of Howard University's Nicole Hannah-Jones, formerly of the New York Times, which sought to place the experience of Black people in the center of a new story uh, of the history of this country. It led to Mr. Trump, when he was president, and paneling a so-called so 1776 commission. I understand that Houston, uh, excuse me, Texas has an 1836 commission to try to rebut uh, particular narratives uh, that seek to tell a truer story of the history of this state, such as represented in the book we're discussing now. And I think, as noted, that those who are seeking to rewrite history, or I should say more accurately, whitewash history, that they should recognize that I trust and I hope that that is a losing gambit, it's a fool's errand, and it will not end well. So as we were talking, because I remember it was during the pandemic, uh, that I had read about uh, is, and the movie actually was done. It was called The 24th. Uh, it streams, it's streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, and so it actually was released. It's a fictionalized version uh, of what took place, but the movie is called uh, The 24th. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it was, uh, so I'll have to check that out uh, a little bit later uh, when I uh, pull up uh, Amazon Prime. Um, uh, a few minutes left here. I always ask you this question. I ask every author this question. Um, I think when we talked about the, I, I never think we talked about the, because uh, you brought up the Juneteenth piece. Um, and in fact, matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to deal with that before I get out of the, of the question. Because um, when we talked, when we, the previous book about boxing, you told mm -hmm. the story that people, that I was even shocked, and you said it blew you away when you found out um, that when General Granger uh, showed up, uh, he had some brothers with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, the Houston Chronicle uh, in 2021, when they were marking a Juneteenth, Houston Chronicle, of course, is the major newspaper uh, in this part of Texas. They suggested that with General Granger was a brigade of soldiers, 75% of whom were African descent. And there's another story too, to, to show you how black history works. The French, as you know, continue to be major neo-colonizers in Africa. Uh, that was beginning 
during the time when they seized Mexico. So from their colonial perch in what is today's Chad in Africa, they dispatched hundreds of soldiers across the Atlantic to bolster their collapsing regime. And so you had black soldiers on both sides of the barricades, uh, black soldiers with General Granger, with the Washington government uh, seeking to repulse the enslavers. And then you had Africans <laughs> under the ages of the French who were fighting them. And what I think that this serves to illustrate is not only that Black history is much more complicated than many would imagine, but also I think it illustrates a deeper point, which is going to be important going forward as world demographics change and as a more sizable percentage of human population becomes of African descent, you'll see that these North Atlantic powers, such as represented in Washington and Paris, are going to have to rely more upon Black people's strength, but that's going to be difficult to do as long as, per Governor DeSantis, they're trying to feed us fairy tales about our past, which only helps to generate anger and fury, and hopefully will help to generate an eroding popularity for politicians like General DeSantis. Uh, last two questions. First, um, what do you want someone who is um, in Texas or someone who was not from Texas, what do you want them to take away uh, from this 500 plus page book? A number of things. One, I want these readers to have a better understanding of how we got to this point, a better understanding that's not grounded and based on fairy tales, but grounded and based on fact. And secondly, per the subtitle of this book, there may be dark days ahead. The kinds of police terror and our disproportionate sighting on death row is horrid. But given what may be around the corner, believe it or not, uh, given what may be around the corner, we may be looking back at March 2023 as the good old days, as the golden days, believe it or not. And therefore, I would want readers to take away knowledge, because knowledge ultimately is power, and power is what we need in order to repel and repulse those who want to drive us deeper into a ditch. And the question I always ask uh, every author, going, doing all the research, um, is something that always jumps out, is a wow moment. Uh, for this book, what was the wow moment? Well, you know, I've I just uttered it when I found out that there were all these Africans who crossed the Atlantic to fight alongside the French against Black Americans. And in fact, we also know that many of them did not return to, to what is today's Chad. And so wow. you may have in Mexico, you may have in Southern Texas, uh, Black people uh, who are not products of the African slave trade as we understand it, but or who are descendants of these black soldiers 
who were fighting on behalf of French occupiers in Mexico. I have to say, I didn't know about that before I stumbled across it. Wow. Uh, that's always the amazing thing uh, when one is doing research uh, into uh, our history. Uh, and again, uh, and it's the untold history uh, that folks don't realize uh, that is always there. The counter-revolution of 1836, Texas slavery and Jim Crow and the roots of U.S. fascism. I tell you, Gerald, when I was at the Texas State Capitol, when I saw that big-ass Confederate monument on the Capitol grounds, uh, all I could do was spit on it uh, because there's nothing more shameful uh, than to go to the Texas Capitol. And, and again, this is you're dealing with today, you see this massive Confederate monument uh, and they're trying to claim, oh, they were fighting for a just cause. And I'm like, hell no, they were not. Hey, good for you, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you uh, expended some of your body fluid uh, on that monument. <laughs> Absolutely. Recorded a video, trashed it, and will forever trash it. Gerald, I appreciate it. Great book. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good luck. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Like, Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.